And I am telling you I'm not going Even though the old hands are rolling Oh, sorry. Didn't see you there. Well, we are back with episode two of Power Hour with Free Royal. I, of course, am Free Royal. And man, oh man, these old heads are in an uproar over a couple things. We'll talk about it. But yeah, man, thank you for everybody that listened to episode one. I truly appreciate it, man. I, I'm i truly humbled by how many people listened and how many people actually enjoyed it. Um, as well as the shorts that I put up that were, you know, snippets of the podcast. Um, I appreciate all the views. I appreciate all the love and we're going to keep chugging, man. I know I took a couple days off and I'm just trying to get ready for my 30th birthday, which is a week from today. Cannot believe I'm saying that it's crazy. 30 years on this earth, but, um, yeah, man, we have a lot of topics today to talk about that I think you might like. We're going to talk a little bit about the All-Star game. You'll probably like my take on that because I pretty much fall in line with what most people are saying. I'm just not nearly as brazen or as angry about it. Um, we're also going to talk about Rex Ryan interviewing for the uh, Denver Broncos defensive coordinator job. We're going to talk about a couple of fights coming up. Uh, two in boxing well one in boxing the other in clown so clown show side of boxing and we're also going to talk about a ufc fight that is very interesting that is coming up next week next saturday so um we have those two things we're gonna talk about some things that are on my mind in general and we're also going to talk about the main topic i know you see the title so that is the main topic of today and i'm gonna hold off on addressing that because Trust me, you're going to really want to hear what I have to say about that topic. But before I get into any of that, I do want to address something. I want to send my condolences to Dre Watson. Dre Watson lost his oldest brother this past week, and it's hitting him pretty hard. And, um, you know, I just want to send my condolences out to him. And uh, if you follow him on Twitter or Twitch or, or you know, you subscribed on YouTube, please just reach out to him. Send him some good vibes. Um, you know, let him know you're thinking about him because he really does need that right now, I believe. And um, it can't hurt. So, you know, for all y'all that listen to me, if you support Dre Watson in any way on YouTube or Twitch or, um, you know, Twitter, or even if you don't quote unquote support him, just reach out and you know, just let him know that, you know, we're thinking about him. Um, I don't really know how to transition from that. I want to get into some potentially good news, which is Rex Ryan potentially back in the NFL. Rex Ryan actually interviewed for the Denver Broncos defensive coordinator position a couple of days ago. Um, I know they're interviewing Matt Patricia. Hopefully, as long as he stays away from the play calling, he'll be a good hire if he ends up going there. You know, your genius, greatest of all time head coach thought it was smart for him to call offensive plays, but we're not going to go there. Um, Yeah, so Rex Ryan interviewed for the, uh, the... Jesus Christ, like, this is like a weekly thing with me just tripping over my words. Crazy. Rex Ryan interviewed for the defensive coordinator job a couple of days ago. And look, I, I think it's sort of like a super team to put Sean Payton and Rex Ryan together. Rex Ryan is a great defensive mind. Rex Ryan was not a bad head coach the way everybody wants to remember him as. I think Rex Ryan did an admirable job with really a pretty mid quarterback. 
and Mark Sanchez. Um, I, I I think that this will be a great hire. I think all the players that have played for Rex Ryan pretty much are aligned in the thought that they would run through a wall for the dude, and he's just a player's coach. I think he'd be a great hire for Denver. And, you know, Sean Payton is trying to nail down that offensive side of the ball with Mr. Unlimited, Mr. Unlimited, I'm Mr. Unlimited, Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. So we'll see what happens with that. They have some targets coming back, I believe. Um, they already scapegoated their running back in Melvin Gordon as if he was the reason why they were complete shit. That's a different story for a different day. But... You know, it's going to be interesting. I thought that was a team that was going to compete for the AFC West title last year, and Russell Wilson came and laid an egg, so we'll see if he can, you know, turn it around this year, and he doesn't really have an excuse. If they hire Rex Ryan, that defense is going to be shored up. He has Sean Payton as his head coach, and it's probably going to be calling plays. He has no excuse now. Russell Wilson has no excuse. He either has to perform or they need to move on. And I don't know who's going to take on that contract, but shit, I mean, right now they have to have some sort of buyer's remorse. They can act like they don't. Come on. They have to have some sort of buyer's remorse for the way that last season panned out. Uh, Moving on from the Rex Ryan topic, I do also want to talk about... um, like I said, a couple of fights coming up that are pretty interesting. Two fights and one clown show event, of course, hosted by Jake Paul, the fake-ass boxer, the fake-ass professional boxer, the clown troll, along with his bitch-ass brother, Logan Paul. I'm not going to mince any words. I don't like these fucking clowns. Um, Quite frankly, I don't. I don't like trolls. I don't like people like that. Jake Paul fits that, and Logan Paul fits that. They both fit that characteristic. They both fit that label. And if you don't agree, well, too fucking bad. Anyway, so Jacqueline Paul is fighting Tyson Fury's younger brother, Tommy Fury, this weekend. This is a fight that should have happened months ago. Tommy Fury's dropped out for a number of different reasons. Once it was a visa, another time I think it was weight or just, yeah. You know, <laughs> this is why boxing purists can't fucking win if you're a boxing fan. It's because of the fact that this clown show shit, the reason why it exists in the first place, is because of the fact that super fights are not being put on with the top fighters in the world. We got three. Three Canelo and Triple G fights. The first two, okay, fine. The third one was completely fucking unnecessary. But they'll say, oh, well, you know, you got you got three Triple G and Canelo fight. Who gives a fuck about that third Triple G and Canelo fight? I didn't even watch that shit. Triple G isn't on the level of Canelo at this point. In my opinion, Canelo won the first two fights. Feel free to disagree. Canelo won those first two fights, in my opinion. There was no need for a third one. So what they do is, you know, 
they build these guys up. And I don't mean to get on a rant, but this, you know, it goes into the overall topic of why Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury is happening. They build these guys up. Um, and I'm talking about the actual pro fighters. They build them up with these fake ass records. They're beating tomato cans, right? On the local circuit. And then they cough up enough money to get their guy on a big time card. He fights on the undercard against another tomato can. And then most times they do some type of publicity stunt to get their name out there. And boom, all of a sudden, you know, they're on. It used to be HBO, now Showtime, DAZN, whatever. And then when they get to the point where people know their name. And they're clamoring for a super fight between them and another top fighter, quote unquote, top fighter. They don't fight for years. Don't believe me? I would not be surprised if Gervonta Davis versus Ryan Garcia still did not happen. And that's a fight I'm going to talk about. That's a fight I'm going to analyze in a second. Okay, um, Tiafimo versus Loma happened. I can't even count that as really a super fight. But it was a really good matchup. Tiafimo's an up-and-coming fighter, or was an up-and-coming fighter. He won that fight and became a superstar. But two fighters that you want to fight each other because they are at their peaks, Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, when are they going to fight? Still can't get that agreed upon. So, that's why this clown show bullshit exists. This is why Jake Paul, with the money he made from YouTube, because people are so fucking, well, I won't say people, kids are so easily entertained by trolls, he took his money from YouTube. He went and found the best boxing trainers that money could buy. And then he found an outlet, which was the UFC retired fighters list, essentially. Because they're all fucking, un you know, they're, they're underpaid. And he gets them to come over to boxing, which they've never done before. And fight him so he can puff his chest out and act like he beat somebody. Jake Paul is, he's probably an average boxer for an amateur. That's what his skill level suggests. He's an average boxer for an amateur. That means any pro level fighter that he fights is fucking washing him. And I'm not talking about your Billy the Sundance kid or whatever the fuck, you know, you find some guy down at the local circuit that just, you know, passed a physical and became a pro because that's how easy it is to become a pro boxer as far as the title pro boxer goes. No, I'm talking about a guy with fights on his resume against other pro boxers. And I'm not even talking about high level boxers. I'm talking about low level boxers that fought a level above that little indie circuit that I just mentioned. 
any of those guys that fight him are watching him. So here's the thing, right? If this fucking clown wasn't calling out guys that he knows won't ever give him the time of day, I wouldn't really have an issue with this dipshit. I'd just ignore him. But the issue is he calls out people like Canelo and others knowing they'll never fight him. And his fans are like, well, he doesn't have to fight a top-level fighter all while he's calling out top-level fighters. And then you ask, ask him, well, why won't he just fight, you know, a lower-level boxer? Well, he's just a beginner, so, you know, it's like they, <laughs> right? They say that, and then at the same time, yeah, he should fight Cano. Why won't Cano fight him? Cano's scared. It's stupid. You can't say, oh, he doesn't have to fight a higher-level fighter or even a lower-level boxer. He could do these little fucking, you know, clown fights with retired UFC fighters that have, you know, hip replacements. He can do that. And then when he calls out Canelo, well, yeah, he should call out Canelo. He could beat Canelo. See what I mean? So... This clown fight is happening this weekend. I don't know who's going to win. I don't care. I mean, well, I'll take that back. I would love to see Jake Paul get knocked the fuck out. Because he's a clown. Just like his fucking brother. At least his brother is halfway decent at the profession he's now chosen to dive into. But they're both fucking clowns. They're both some little fucking rich bitch kids. That just troll and their fans defend them being trolls. Fuck them both. I hope Jake Paul leaves that fight on a fucking stretcher. I I do. I don't give a fuck. He's, he's a troll. He's a cancer to the boxing world. The business. And really, he's a cancer to Earth because this whole troll society, this this whole trend of being a fucking troll and doing shit for clout, it doesn't do anything but create a more toxic environment. And he's right at the forefront of it. Fuck him. Anyway, on to real fighters. Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, let's talk about this because they are going to be fighting at a catch weight of 136 pounds. I'm not sure if they ever got that rematch clause in the contract. I haven't read the contract, obviously. Um, Javante Davis is a very skilled fighter. Javante Davis is a very mature fighter. Um, At this age and at this time, he did used to get into some irresponsible exchanges in the pocket, but he's kind of cut down on that. Now, I think his issue more than anything, is getting caught with flush shots because he tries to slip and doesn't put his guard up every now and then. Um, And that's just a lack of foot movement on his part sometimes. And just the fact that a lot of people, he doesn't respect their power, which, eh, I mean, Ryan Garcia, if he gets his arms extended, he can put you out. I don't think Ryan Garcia jabs enough. He's another one of these trolls, but at least he's a fucking talented boxer. I can halfway deal with it. I don't really pay attention to him on social media anymore because, you know, he used to be the 
humble kid that just would, oh, look at him, he's sitting in the Cobra bag, oh, it's so cool, right, and then, you know, he got a little taste of fame, and he's turned into a fucking douchebag, too, but that's neither here nor there, um, Ryan Garcia doesn't jab enough, he has a pretty good jab, he doesn't jab enough, he's gonna have to jab in this fight, if Javante gets inside the pocket, if Javante can get inside of his guard, Ryan Garcia does have the tendency of dropping his hands and trying to slip punches going backwards too much without moving his feet. He doesn't fight on his toes, which really nobody fights on their toes anymore, but he doesn't fight on his toes. He's more of a plotter, much like Javante is a plotter, but the difference is Javante really does a good job at um, luring you into a false sense of security the way that he cuts off the ring, the way that he advances towards fighters it's kind of small steps that you don't really notice how close he's getting to you because his movement is a bit off rhythm sometimes and not those huge steps trying to cut you off he kind of just lures you into the spot where he wants to you know take advantage of and it's not even really so much using angles it's just the small steps he takes he jabs he faints right and the next thing you know you're on your back foot and then he's unleashing that left hand with Ryan Garcia, if he jabs, he should be able to make this a competitive fight. If he does not, I think he's going to sleep. I think you're dealing with two pretty big stars based on whoever wins this fight. I think one of them will become a mega, mega star. Javante Davis is on the cusp of becoming a mega, mega star. Ryan Garcia has a lot of acclaim and a lot of fans. Um, and, you know, he's very highly touted by pretty much everybody around boxing as far as his potential but this fight is really going to go a long way in him becoming one of the top fighters in that division um that he's in which I mean right now they're fighting at a catchweight once again so it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here both of them if there isn't a rematch clause overall though I think it's pretty close to a 50-50 fight um, if Ryan Garcia can jab, jab, and um, keep Javante on the outside, kind of frustrate him, he might be able to catch him with a right cross coming in. He likes throwing that check left hook too. I don't know how effective that's going to be against the southpaw, but we'll see. Now, the third fight I wanted to talk about was a UFC fight. John Jones is making his long-awaited return against Cyril Gaon on March 4th, I believe. And... It's for the heavyweight title, the vacant heavyweight title. Um, Francis Ngannou, I don't even think is with UFC at this point. He vacated the title, or they stripped him of the title one or the other. And now, yeah, Bones and Surreal are fighting for that coveted heavyweight championship. Man, this fight... This may be... You know, I know a lot of people... Love, you know, the hyperbole and overstating things, but I don't think I'm overstating things when I say this may be the biggest fight in UFC history. When you think about traditionally in combat sports, the biggest money is always made by heavyweights. Francis Ngannou became one of the biggest stars in the heavyweight division because of his lights-out power. One-shot knockout power. Um, If you think about Fedor back in Pride, he's one of the bigger stars. When 
um, when Stipe and DC were going at it, those were some of the highest selling fights. People love to see heavyweights throw bombs, period. They just do. And if you think back to the boxing days, even if you go back to the 90s with Riddick Bowe and Michael Moore and George Foreman when he made his return, Vander Holyfield, obviously Mike Tyson, right? Those those were the money fights. People wanted to see Oscar De La Hoya and people wanted to see Floyd when he was younger and people wanted to see Bernard Hopkins and they wanted to see Roy Jones. But there's something different about heavyweight fights. There's an uncertainty about how long the fight can go, right? It seems like at any given moment, the fight can end because they have that type of power. They're big dudes. The reason I'm excited about this fight, though, is because you're dealing with two extremely skilled fighters. This is not just guys that are going to be coming into this match throwing bombs the whole time. Sorogon has knockout power, make no mistake about it. Bones has power in his strikes, right? You know, whether it's his kicks or his elbows or in the clinch, yes, he has power, right? He's not much of a puncher, but, you know, who knows? I mean, he's been out of the octagon for so long, he might have developed that as well. That was probably the only thing that really, I don't even say was a weakness, but it was something he didn't really use as much was his punches. He had a pretty good jab, though. He used it every once in a while, but... Um, Sorogon is extremely skilled. He's probably the most agile and the most skilled striker in the heavyweight division. He uses angles. He fights on his toes. He jabs. He's a former kickboxer, but he's running into a buzzsaw as far as a guy that can beat you at your best skill, which is the scary part about John Bones Jones. John Bones Jones does not try to attack your weaknesses. He tries to attack your strengths, which is crazy. You know, Chael Sonnen was one of the best on the ground. He dominated. Chael Sonnen on the ground in their fight. Leoto Machida. Leoto Machida. God, I keep slipping up. Leoto Machida was a great striker, right? Karate specialist. Bones outstruck him. Now, he ended up submitting him, but his goal in that fight was to outstrike him. Rampage. He didn't keep trying to take Rampage down. He tried to outstrike Rampage and beat him in the stand-up. That's just what he does, so, you know, you have a long layoff like this. You're coming back and facing probably the best heavyweight in the world. How many times can Bones come back from a layoff like that and not miss a beat? And this time in a new weight class. It's going to be very, very interesting. That's probably my most eagerly anticipated fight of the ones that are actually booked and ready to go. You have Chandler and Connor down the road. That's going to be an interesting fight. I, I don't know how much Connor has left. I mean, it's not, it's not like he's an old guy, but does he have the hunger that he used to? I just, I don't know. That remains to be seen, but yeah, man, those fights are, Definitely going to be interesting, even the clown show that is Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. That should be, uh, that should be what it is going to be, I guess. Um, moving on, let's talk about this All-Star game. Oh, man. 
It was hard to defend this one. I am an advocate for the new guys. I think skill-wise, the average NBA player these days is worlds better than the average NBA player from the 80s or the 90s or even the 2000s. They just are, right? Skill for skill. But this All-Star game and the lack of defense, the lack of defensive effort, the lack of competitive desire that was displayed in this All-Star game was embarrassing. 184 to 175, Team Giannis took this one. Giannis played one possession and then um, sat for the rest of the game. He's still dealing with a hand injury, wrist injury. LeBron hurt his hand going up to block a shot in the second quarter. He did not play the second half. Missing from this game, Giannis, KD, Zion, Steph, and LeBron for the second half, all out of the All-Star game. None of them played. Or LeBron, like I said, didn't play in the second half. Pretty rough. That's a lot of star power to be missing. That being said, there had to be somebody that wanted to play defense. That wanted to up the competitive environment. Nobody did. This was abysmal. It was not entertaining. It was like... It was like a... The best way I could describe it... It was like a tired run after practice. With the team. Where... Practice ends and it's like... Hey, you want to stick around and play fives? Oh, yeah, sure, why not? And you... Come down and just... Take whatever shot you feel like taking, step back three, take a shot from half court. Right, you're fucking around. That was this entire game. The reason why Team LeBron kind of, in a way, made a comeback is just literally because Team Giannis kind of called off the dogs and just started fucking around. Because at that point, they had a target score and Team LeBron really had nothing to lose in the fourth quarter. So they made a little bit of a comeback, but... This game was not entertaining in any way, shape, or form. The old heads were just besides themselves um, when this game was over. Oh, this is terrible. This is the microcosm of how they play these days and take a bunch of threes and nobody plays. Relax. Take your fucking meds, put some icy hot on, sit down and shut the fuck up. This is not what it's like in an average NBA game, okay? This was fucking abysmal, I agree. But let's not overstate it, okay? That being said, if this is the effort that we're going to continue to see in future All-Star games, they need to start adding some stakes to these games. And no, I don't mean prime rib. They need to start adding some consequences, some incentives, so these guys have a reason to give effort defensively, to give effort 
in general. This year proved that these guys don't feel any urge to play hard in these games, to make these games competitive. And I actually like the setup that the Rising Stars game had, which was they literally just played to a score. That was the entire game. They played to a score. They didn't have time. I feel like if you did that with the NBA All-Star game, it might be more competitive. If you just said, all right, the game's up to 100, throw the ball out. It might make it more competitive. If a team notices how much they're down. You know, I mean, obviously there's a concept of time, right? That becomes an issue. But I think the game would still pretty much be as long as a normal game would be if you play up to 100. I just think when you have a timed event like this, they're kind of just waiting for it to be over. And one would think that, you know, the captains picking the players prior to the game, like right in front of them, right in front of the crowd too, you would think that that would kind of get them amped up to play, but that wasn't the case. Um, another issue that I didn't really think about until just now was how excited could you be to play with certain guys if you didn't know who you were going to really be teaming up with until that moment? There was a lot of uncertainty. Of course, that's what the NBA have you believe. I don't know whether they told everybody beforehand, but if we're looking at it on surface level, there was a lot of uncertainty as far as who's going to be on whose team. That might have added to it. I don't know. But God, it was funny to watch the old... See, I told you! Okay, whatever. Sit down, Gramps. It's alright. Um... <laughs> uh, another thing I had to talk about as far as these older people. Um, Dominique Wilkins came out and he was being interviewed by some idiot. I don't know who it was. And the guy misquoted JJ Reddick and what JJ Reddick said in an interview. But essentially he said that Reddick claimed Stephen Curry plays any more physical error or deals with more physicality than Larry Bird did. Now, I played the clip on the podcast last week, and we know what J.J. Reddick actually said. But Dominique Wilkins went on to say that J.J. Reddick's an idiot, or, you know, he's he, it was such a stupid opinion. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Couldn't be more wrong. J.J. Reddick knows exactly what the fuck he's talking about. And, see... Here's the issue with these old heads, right? And we talked about this last week. This whole thought process that you have to see something live is fucking stupid. These motherfuckers were four or five years old 
I'll, I'll even give him 10 years old. Watching 80s basketball. And they think that their 10-year-old opinion that is now a 40, 50-year-old opinion based on 30 years of nostalgia. They think that that is better. Their memories and rose-colored glasses and nostalgia. They think that is more valid than a person like me, who's 30 years old, watching the game unbiased on YouTube with 30-year-old eyes. Not 10-year-old eyes, and then 30 years later, I'm talking about what I remember. No. We're talking about 30-year-old eyes watching basketball that occurred back in the 1980s. How is that not more valid? Did the tape change? Did they magically try to not shoot the gap against Larry Bird and pick? I mean, come on, bro. Let's look at the game that he scored 60 against Atlanta. Warm-up jump shots. Nobody was fucking checking him. They make you think, that, or they made, they'd have you think, that it was the fucking Wild Wild West out there. They were just, you know... Oh my God, defensively, everybody was clamping. It couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be further from the truth. Everybody was not clamping. People were going under screens on Larry Bird and some of the other best shooters in the league. And you're calling that clamping because motherfuckers were allowed to hand check? I mean, come on, bro. Like, let's be fucking real for a second. The level of physicality from back then is overrated as it is. Because those flagrant fouls weren't happening every two seconds the way when motherfuckers want to put this montage together. Oh, this is when grown men play in the league. Motherfucker, you don't know what a grown man is. You sure as hell can't look in the mirror and find one. So don't talk about, well, this is when grown men played in the league. No, you're a fucking idiot. They put together these montages of flagrant fouls as if they happened every game. They did not. They didn't. A lot of times you will see these dudes and you can go and look up the highlights and you can go and watch the full games. I've done both. These dudes were having picnics at the fucking hoop. So I don't want to hear that shit. Anyway, and I feel like I'm going to have to keep addressing these old heads weekly. It might just become another weekly segment, but... As far as my current weekly segment, let's talk about some things that are on my mind. I need a break from football. First thing that's on my mind, you know, the USFL is coming back. The XFL is back. And I can't help but think like, I just, I need a break from football. I can't watch it 365. I just can't. I hope for the best. With the USFL and the XFL, I hope that the NFL can adopt the XFL's, you know, kickoff rule and their kickoff format so that they don't just eradicate it completely. I hope that guys from the XFL and the USFL get looks from NFL teams 
I hope that these two leagues thrive. That being said, I will probably be supporting from a distance. You know, there's 17 weeks, and I talked about this last week, there's 17 weeks of football. And then there's the playoffs. And then there's plenty of time for you to miss the NFL. March, April, May, June, July. Right around July, start to get the, you know, itch to watch football again. August comes, boom, preseason games. But there's time to miss it. But if you're watching football year-round, there isn't time to miss it. And for me, I'm not a football head to the point where I could just keep watching year-round. I just I just can't. It's too much. Um, that was something that was on my mind. Watching these leagues kick off, I just thought, like, damn, the people who can watch football year-round, God bless you, because I just, I can't. The other thing that was on my mind, and really part of the reason why I took a couple days off and didn't record the podcast was... You know, just thinking about these past 30 years, man, it's about to be 30 years on this earth next week. And, you know, just processing a lot of stuff that's happened throughout my life and thinking about goals I want to accomplish this year and um, just a lot of stuff, man, just... It's it's a lot. And you don't get a lot of time to reflect. At least I don't. I'm always doing something. But these past couple of days, I've really been able to reflect on these past 30 years. And believe it or not, I wouldn't change anything. The decisions I've made have led me to where I am now. As a content creator, a full-time musician, a person who is working with a producer and has been working with a producer for four years. It'll be four years in August. And it's just funny. I remember... I was a supervisor at Sprint. And, I mean, basically an ASM. And that was when, like, don't get me wrong. If you want a job where you're not doing anything, get into the cell phone business. Get into the phone carrier industry because there are going to be a lot of days where you're not going to have to put in a lot of work to get sales or people just ain't going to come in one or the other if you're one of the sinking ship phone carrier 
um, stores. If you're with one of those companies, you're just basically going to be chilling, getting paid to fucking do nothing. But anyway, I have known since I was a kid that I wanted to do music. That's what I wanted to do. Kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off, just kicking that can down the road. And you know how you have a moment of clarity where you are prepared to make a decision and not give a fuck about the consequences. There's no negatives in your head. There's only positives and upside, right? Like other days you would have weighed the negatives and the positives. So you already have them in the back of your head, but there's a certain moment where you, it just triggers in your head. Like, yeah, I'm done with this. That was me working at sprint when I realized that I needed to do music full time. And I'm really letting you guys in right now. Cause I don't talk about this much, but from TSA to being a chair car driver to, um, working at sprint to my first job at Walmart, I was always kicking that can down the road and thinking back on, you know, when I was 26, 25, making the decision to go to music full time and basically go under a production contract where I couldn't release music for four years. Um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't change anything. I think I'm truly doing what I should be doing, what I was born to do. And just thinking about all the goals I have and, you know, when I'm finally able to release music later this year, it's just going to be so fulfilling and it's going to be so rewarding because everything I've done prior to this has led me to this point. And I know I'm on the right path. So that's, you know, just pretty much what's been on my mind for the past couple of days, just achieving these goals and, you know, doing what every musician wants to do, what every true musician, in my opinion, wants to do, which is to have millions of people, billions of people worldwide, hear your music, hear your art experience it, love it, soak it in, replay it, save it, buy it, cherish it, and never let it go. And that's all I've been thinking about. I have so many songs done. I'm ready to release them. It's just a matter of when I can, and you guys are, I think, going to love them. So that was kind of a... (laughs) Um, a peek inside of my brain for the past couple of days and a peek inside of my world for the past four years. It's been hard. It's not easy being a full-time musician, especially when you're an up and coming indie artist. It's just not, especially when you aren't allowed to release music. Um, as far as the music, like going into your project, your upcoming project, like it's tough. No, most people don't even know that I do music on on Twitter. I don't really talk about it because it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf after a while. I'm going to release music. I'm going to release music. I'm going to release music, right? And 
they're like, okay. It's just like, nah, like I really am. But you have to be close to me to know, like, how much work I put into the shit. And I just want to get to the point where folks who don't really know me personally can experience, you know, my talent and my, um, you know, my, my God-given gifts and the message that I want to spread. But uh, let's move on from that. Th- that was, um, you know, a couple things that were on, was on my mind or were on my mind. And we're going to get into the meat. Pause. We're going to get into the main topic for today. You did read that title correctly. Michael Jordan isn't the greatest of all time. Let's talk about it. I know some of y'all got your UNC Michael Jordan jerseys on right now. Your Jordan number 23 blankets and you just. I could kill you. Let's talk about this. There is no greatest of all time. You're probably thinking, well, that's impossible. Well, no, it's not impossible. There is no greatest of all time. Now, what am I talking about? In basketball, Michael Jordan doesn't have the most MVPs, doesn't have the most championship rings, hasn't scored the most points in the history of the league. So what makes him the undisputed greatest of all time? What makes him the greatest of all time, period? You didn't win the most. You didn't score the most. You didn't win the most prestigious prize in the history of the league the most times. See, people don't think about this stuff. And you're allowed to have your opinion, but understand that opinions are just that. They're opinions. And this is an opinion... This is a thought process that has been fed to people for ages now. The media does a very good job of manipulating the beliefs and the ideals that people carry. Michael Jordan, based on how kids have been programmed since they were very young, He's supposed to be the undisputed greatest of all time. He was called the greatest of all time before he won a ring. In the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals, when they faced the Pistons and lost, he was called the greatest of all time. Despite Bill Russell having 11 championships, Despite Kareem at that point having, how many did he have? What, five? Six MVPs? If I'm not mistaken. So how could a guy that had 
I think two MVPs, no rings. Kareem had six MVPs. Just think about this. Kareem had six MVPs in a decade. And he still played for another seven years, I believe. So, a guy that had like two MVPs and no rings was declared the greatest of all time. Okay. See, here's the issue. These older folks who have been programmed to believe that there's no player that can touch Michael Jordan's greatness. They honestly always move the goalposts when this argument comes up, which is further proof that there is no greatest of all time. If you have to change your criteria or your argument every single time a new player comes up, if you have to move the goalposts every time a player that you don't like achieves something to inch closer to your favorite player, your most coveted player, you don't even believe that he's the greatest of all time. And subconsciously, you don't believe that there is a greatest of all time. The league is so vastly different now compared to when Michael Jordan played. And I'm not a fan of hypotheticals. So we're not going to talk about what Michael Jordan's stats would be if he played in the three-point era. We're not going to talk about what his stats would be if he didn't play with the ability to isolate in the iso ball era that I call it, because that's what it was, the iso ball era, a.k.a. the illegal defense era. We're not going to talk about what his stats would be if he didn't play in that era. I'm not here to take anything away from Michael Jordan. I'm here to open your eyes to how foolish some of you sound. Okay, so let's talk about this. Michael Jordan. Doesn't have the most rings, ever. Yet, you use the ring argument against LeBron James for a guy that doesn't even have the most ever. Doesn't have the most MVPs ever. Yet, you use that argument against LeBron James. Doesn't have the most points all time. Who does? LeBron James. LeBron James passed him on the all-time scoring list with far less attempts, far more assists. What argument do the Jordan stands use? Yeah, but how many games? Well, it doesn't matter because we're talking about attempts. Who cares how many games he played? That means nothing. How many shots did he take? So then you know what they say? Well, he took all his shots at the rim. Well, he takes more threes than Michael Jordan does. 
shoots a higher percentage too. You see what I'm saying? When I say shit like this, they contort it and twist it into me taking something away from Michael Jordan. No, these are just facts. So, when assessing LeBron James, here's what they do. Well, he played in a soft era. Based on what? Players not playing football on a basketball court? I'm I'm truly I'm truly interested to hear what the debate is and what the facts are behind the fact that this era is behind the opinion I should say that this era is so-called soft on the court. Well, you can't touch anybody. Well, I saw freedom of movement blocking calls called when people were hand-checking Jordan back when you were allowed to actually hand-check. So explain that. Michael Jordan took 13 free throws in a season per game. You want to talk about how many free throws he would take these days. We talked about this shit last week. This So, my point is, you notice how they move the goalposts every time? I haven't even gotten to the rest of how they move the goalposts. And just to be clear, LeBron James is not the greatest of all time either. I'm getting to that. So then they talk about Well, look at how many finals losses LeBron has. Okay. Two things. If you're going to bash LeBron for how many finals losses he has individually, why would you not also give him credit for leading most of his teams that made it to the finals in all statistical categories. Well, you can't do that because then that would mean you had to be consistent. And we can't have consistency around here. Let's see, what else do they throw out there? Okay, here we go. He choked in 2011 finals. Did you know there was a series against the Pistons where Michael Jordan scored zero and one points in consecutive fourth quarters? You didn't know that, did you? That's because they bury it deep beneath all the praise that they heap on him. Well, he went to Miami. Okay, Jordan was going to go to New York in 96, play with Patrick Ewing. What's your argument going to be? It was for different reasons. See, this is what I mean. The goalposts always move. They always move. He's not clutch. 
pretty sure he has the highest average points per game in elimination games in the history of the league. LeBron James, that is. So, I've given you facts that nobody's probably told you before because they're too busy bashing LeBron and praising Michael Jordan. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, neither of them are the greatest of all time. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Six-time NBA champion, two-times finals MVP, six-time most valuable player. Ten-time NBA All-First Team. Two-time scoring champ, four-times block leader. And honestly, he actually won two rings as an assistant coach on the Lakers during the Kobe era, 2009-2010. But we're not going to count that. So, he has as many rings as Jordan. More MVPs than Jordan. And for 30 plus years, 40 years, whatever it was, I'm not great at math, 40 years. Uh, yeah. He was the all-time leading scorer in the history of the league. So tell me why, again, nobody could measure up to Michael Jordan. You can't. It's, It's all propaganda. That's what it is. It's not to say that Michael Jordan is not great. He has an argument for the greatest of all time, but you know who else does too? LeBron James. You know who else does besides those two? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, let's break this down. Why do I say that there are three guys and only three guys that have an argument for the greatest of all time, but none of them are the undisputed, outright greatest of all time? Well, it's simple. These three guys transcended eras. Being the best player in the game. Kareem was the best player of the 70s. But in 1981, 1982, he was still probably the best player in basketball. And Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was already a top five player in the Bird and Magic era. He wasn't the best player. I'm not hearing that bullshit. But he was one of the best players, top three, in the league by about 1988. And from there, he held that title through retirement, came back in 95, 
was the best player in the league again, all the way up until he retired in 98. He transcended era. Or transcended eras. LeBron James is probably the best player in basketball 08 and on. All the way up to, I'll say, 2014, Kevin Durant made it closer. Stephen Curry, in my opinion, was never the best basketball player in the world. LeBron James has been in the top three of that category for well over a decade. All three of them transcended eras. When you look at their resume, their three resumes are probably untouchable amongst anybody else in the history of basketball. LeBron James is going to finish his career, what, third in assists? He's already tops for points all time. And he was a guy that also averaged seven assists, eight assists, led the league in assists uh, two years ago, I think. These three guys are your discussion for the greatest of all time. These three. And I put none of them over the next one. Folks can't accept that, though. They have to pick one. They have to fight over their favorite player. Why isn't Bill Russell... See, and this is the thing that annoys me. Jordan isn't knocked for not making it to 12 rings. So why does LeBron need seven? Jordan isn't knocked for not having six MVPs. Why does LeBron need six to to have one more than Michael Jordan? That's the shit I'm talking about. When you talk about resume and the level of consistency, these three are unmatched. Now, if you want to talk about skill, that's a different conversation. Dictating pace, having an impact on the game, eye test. Okay, yeah, Larry Bird and Magic come in. But, once again, because of how different the game is played these days, you can't say there's a greatest of all time unless there's a guy that has the most MVPs of all time, the most championships of all time, and the most points of all time. then that means you completely and utterly dominated the sport across all generations. But Jordan didn't. And look, you can go back to the whole, well, Bill Russell was hoarding players. Well, not Bill Russell, but Red Auerbach was hoarding players and it was an unbalanced playing field and there was no free agency and yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. But we can't argue hypotheticals. We can't talk about what would happen if there was free agency back then. There was not. Period. So don't argue the hypotheticals with me because I'm not trying to hear it. We're talking about what actually happened. Did LeBron James' team actually lose the 2011 finals? Yes, they did. Did Michael Jordan miss the playoffs in his rookie season? Yes, he did. Did he get swept? Did his team get swept? I hate saying that, right? Even about Michael Jordan, as much as you stands make me sick, 
I will assess players unbiased. Did Michael Jordan's team get swept by the 1986 Celtics? Yes, they did. But all anybody talks about is him scoring 63 points. It's less about Michael Jordan to me, right? Because I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan, the player. Personal is a completely different story. Not even going to address that. My podcast isn't about that. If that was the case, I'd talk about how Karl Malone was a scumbag, piece of shit, rapist, and a deadbeat. But I'm not going to not gonna talk about that. Michael Jordan is the player. There's nobody ever better. But he has equals as far as resume. And that's my point. Michael Jordan is not the greatest of all time. Does he have an argument? Absolutely. As good an argument as the other two. Remember that. Don't lie to yourself and tell you that this dude is head and shoulders above everybody else who's ever played basketball. You're wrong. You're flat out wrong. The facts tell me and should tell you that you are wrong. So, I don't want to hear any more about this LeBron versus Michael Jordan debate. And ESPN has already raised off of this shit, right? Oh, now it's, oh, well, should there be three people in the conversation? Don't do that. Kareem done held that record for 40 fucking years. Now you want to talk about, oh, should there be three people in the conversation? People are starting to come around to the idea that LeBron is in that conversation. And it took a while, but it's happening. If you're truly a person who doesn't view shit through emotion and your bias of how shit operated back in your bygone era, you would accept the fact that he's in that conversation. It's only the Jordan stands that can't accept that. And they've been the ones that have wanted to take credit from him the entire time. It's been them. Every time he'd achieved something that got him a little bit closer, they would move the goalposts. Well, he hasn't done this. Well, he hasn't done that. Well, he didn't do this. Well, Jordan did this. Well, blah, 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 blah. Well, yada, 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 yada. Well, do, 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 do. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's tiring to hear these people in their bias. There are some folks who put a pretty decent argument together for Jordan. And there are others who... You think they just hold up their fucking Jordan sneakers in front of their face and say, this is why it must be the shoes. Got to be the shoes, shoes, shoes. Like the fucking Spike Lee or something. I'm a LeBron fan. I don't hide that. But what have I said here today that wasn't simply factual? It's not like I'm not a Michael Jordan fan. Just not to the extent of these motherfuckers. I don't take it to the extent that they take it to. 
You know, they're sitting there in the bedroom jacking off the fucking Michael Jordan highlights, and then they come and spread their little LeBron hate on YouTube or fucking Twitter or wherever they're on social media. And then on top of that, you know, now they're starting to do it with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar too. They'll do it with anybody that will step in the way of Michael Jordan being considered the greatest of all time. And that's the part that's sickening about it. Why do you give a fuck? Who considers him what? Why is it such a personal vendetta with another player when they're compared to Michael Jordan? Because they've been conditioned to feel this way, to act this way, like petulant children. It's like Beyonce fans. Let somebody be compared to Beyonce. Let Michael Jackson get compared to somebody or somebody compared to Michael Jackson, rather. It's the same shit. It's annoying. It's standom. It's not fandom. But I don't want to go on too long about this. The point is, if you can't admit at this point that Michael Jordan is in the same conversation as LeBron James and vice versa, and they're both in the conversation with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, there's something fucking wrong with you. You need to be checked you need not talk about basketball anymore. Go watch some fucking basketball and learn something. There's plenty of games on YouTube. Search it up. Learn yourself something. Then come back. Try to have a civilized conversation with civilized people. Don't just go on Twitter and spread some stand shit. Nobody wants to hear that other than other stands. But that's pretty much all I got for you guys today. I wanted to give y'all a little bit extra because it has been a couple days and I truly do apologize for that. I should always be on time with the podcast, but had some things going on. I had to get ironed out and that is done. So I will be back next week with another episode of Power Hour with Free Royal. Make sure to please Follow me on Twitter at WankmanSkip, W-A-N-K-M-A-N, Skip. Make sure to please follow me on IG, Free Royal Power Hour. You can also follow my music page, Free Royal Music. That's really where my bread is buttered. Um, Stitcher, Pandora, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you find your favorite podcasts, if you type in Power Hour with Free Royal, you will find it there. That being said, much love to all my people on YouTube that are holding it down watching. And as I continue this journey, once again, I will have guests on. The show will evolve into what I feel like it needs to be to get to the most people and the biggest audience at the same time it will not change the overall scope of what i am trying to present you with which is in my opinion entertaining commentary on sports whether it's current or past sports events that being said i hope you all have a great weekend great productive rest of the week stay safe stay productive And I will be back next week with the Power Hour with Free Royal. Peace.